0: you know life after death is a reality and you'll either be loving it or hating it depending on where you end up at and that's something to think about paul has been taking great measures in these last few sections uh, to instruct the corinthian church on matters pertaining to what happens after we die What happens when we breathe our last breath? And really the glorious truths, I guess you could say, to be raised together with Christ in our glorified bodies. Point number one of two this morning, as we're only going to have two sections, and hopefully this will help you understand this passage a little bit more compartmentalized, is this, point number one, what kind of body do I get? Question mark. And this is a question that a lot of people have asked, and it's the one that we are addressing first off, or rather, Paul is in verse 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So, now that the church has read on the effects of Jesus' resurrection, and we've touched on those things over the last few weeks, uh, even really how it applies to them personally. Paul will now take the next 14 verses and answer the question that was just presented. How are the dead raised and what kind of body do they get? I found it very fascinating (laughs) in reading this over again that one of the first questions that that is presented here is what kind of body do I get? Uh, What what am I going to be able to do? You know, what am I going to look like? How am I going to be after this life? Well, you don't actually get to see what you get until the appropriate time and all the blessings that will come from sowing to the spirit in your life the things that you've invested in that are pleasing to the Lord those things are going to bear fruit eternally you're going to be reaping ever everlasting life now once you die the hold that your physical body has on you is broken so you are confined to the laws of the universe you are confined to this earth the laws of gravity pertain to you you know uh, we, we see that and we understand the simplest of the things that we've studied in eighth grade science but with our bodies once we die we are no longer bound by the physical nature that physical body will decompose. Your shell will decompose into the original elements that it was created from. But people understand that and hence the question, what happens to my body? Like, what happens to me? And Paul says, foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. From verse 36, I couldn't help but think of what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. Do you, you remember that. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. That means my flesh, sinful nature, has been crucified with Jesus. But you know what's interesting about this is that we are not made alive until our flesh dies. We're not made alive spiritually until we've been crucified with Christ. And so Paul is going to take this entire picture from a spiritual standpoint and from, I would even say an agricultural, agricultural standpoint of, of planting and farming and, you know, sowing seeds so that we can understand what happens after this life. So we begin to see the amazing things of God working in our lives when we come to faith in Jesus. When we've been crucified with Christ, part of us dies. And really, it's the worst part of who we are. We want to be buried with Christ. We want to be dead to the sinful natures. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, maybe in your own life, but sowing to the Spirit requires a lot of dying to oneself and one's sinful nature. To give in to the things of the Lord requires part of you to die. Your selfishness. Your your sinful desires, that dies, but what happens is that life brings forth good things, good fruits. That which is implanted in your heart brings forth those things known as the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, what you sow, verse 37, you do not sow the body that shall be. You don't plant an apple. You plant the seed. So something is planted in your life that inside of it has everything necessary for it to grow. And it says, and you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. And the things that you're investing in, the things that please the Lord, you often don't see what that investment turns into until later on, if ever at all on this earth. And I find that that's one of the main pitfalls of us as Christians that we'll fall into is that a lot of times we do not see immediate results from our decisions to honor the Lord and we get discouraged and we think I don't see anything good that's coming out of this I see a whole lot of dying and a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of difficulty but where's the good that's coming from this you need to hold fast you need to understand that a lot of times you don't see, and even I would say, 99% of the time, you do not see the immediate results. But it's the long game that we're involved in. We're not involved in the short term, even though that's the day to day, and even sometimes monotonous. We can't focus on just the one day, uh, the, the one one thing in particular that's in front of us. We have to think this is long term. I am running a marathon. This is a race. I need to continue to hold fast. Yet, though that single decision to honor the Lord can be difficult, the decision that you made to honor the Lord is like a seed that is planted that will bear fruit at a later time. You don't plant fruit, you grow fruit. And the same concept applies to us spiritually in that we plant seeds that turn into the fruits of the Spirit. As Paul says, if you look again, In verse uh, 37, you plant a seed and inside the seed is everything it needs to bring forth fruit. Even as a seed that is planted dies, but then brings forth life, so too when we die physically and there will come a point where each of us will breathe our last breath, that which was planted inside of us will bring us into a place where we reap what we have sown to the Holy Spirit. And for the Christian, listen to me very carefully, death is only the beginning of the rest of your life. When you die as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, death is only the beginning of the rest of your life. In verse 38, it says, But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men. Another flesh of animals, this is verse 39. Another of fish and another of birds. Every body is unique. There are big bodies and little bodies and some bodies and no bodies. But we see here the reinforcement of the Genesis account of God's creation. That He created man in His own image. He created animals after their own kind. He didn't say here that all flesh are the same flesh. He didn't say that humans and monkeys are the same. He didn't say that dinosaurs and birds are the same. He says each is different and each belongs with its kind. Humans with humans and animals with animals, fish with fish, birds with birds. And each of God's creation has a body that was specifically designed for them. God didn't look at a monkey and decide to make him into a man. He didn't look at man and decide to give him gills and let him swim like a fish verse 40 it says there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is other is another so there are also heavenly bodies as there are earthly bodies and there are bodies that are made for earth and the, there are bodies that are made with he, for heaven and each has its own abilities its own glory or purpose there is one glory of the sun verse 41 Another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from one another star excuse me, from another star in glory. And that is true. You know, if you've ever looked at the, the pictures of the galaxies and the things we've seen with you know the these incredible telescopes, I mean unbelievable. We see that there are brighter and larger stars and other than others in the galaxies that we've discovered and some, as a side note, and you can kind of file this away, have taken this to be an analogy for different degrees of glory in heaven. Like, will there be different people with different degrees of glory? I will not know fully how that works until we get there. But Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store those things up. From what Jesus said and what we're reading here in, in, in 1 Corinthians, there could be different degrees of treasures that are stored up in heaven. There could be from what we see. And I would even go as far as to say that there will be. But when we get old. We go to the grave, old, worn out, and dead. But we won't be raised like that. We won't be raised worn out. You know, some people have thought, oh, you know, I just hope I die in my prime, so when I get to heaven, I, you know, I'm in my mid-20s or whatever it might be. I don't know. Listen, you don't get the body that you died in. But, and, and that would be pretty horrific for her if we did. It'd be like, what is this? This isn't heavenly, heavenly at all. And then you start wondering, like, where am I really at? You know, like that kind of thing. No, we're not going to be raised in this body that you see. There is going to be a specific glorified body for you. You're not going to be raised like that because there's nothing worse than a dead body and there'll be nothing more amazing than the time when you're raised from the dead and given your glorified body. That's a cool thing. You know, for those of us that have uh, experienced pain and injuries and disease and, you know, disabilities or whatever it might be, to be free from those things, it's going to be a glorious thing. And he says, so also is, verse 42, the resurrection of the dead. The body... Is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, verse 44, it is raised the spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We were born and we will die with a corrupted body. It doesn't matter how fit you are, how healthy you eat, how much you exercise, the latest treatments that you get on your skin and your body or whatever it might be, we were born with corruption built into our lives because of sin. We were born in a body that was eventually going to wear out but we're going to be raised with an incorruptible one. Dishonor, it says here, is overcome by glory. Weakness will be raised in power. You will die in your natural body, but you will be raised in your spiritual body. And this is not the body that you have now. And let me repeat it. This is not the body that you have now. And the older we get, the louder we cry, Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. Some of you younger people might be here today saying, I'm in pretty good shape right now. Uh, You won't be forever. And that's just the way it goes. You will be given a fit for heaven body even as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Awesome. The heavenly man. So if you're wondering, what kind of body do I get? Well, that leads us to point number two this morning. It depends on what kind of man you are. Now, this is important for us because we can die in corruption. We can die apart from Jesus. We can die in our sins. And we're not going to be receiving the type of afterlife that we had hoped that we would have had. See, there is a heavenly man We know him as Jesus Christ. We know that we desire to have a heavenly body. A body that's free from the pain and free from the illnesses and free from death. So we need the heavenly body. We need the heavenly man. And this is what Paul goes into now in point number two, which is the heavenly man. It says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. Now, this phrase, the last Adam, is in reference to Jesus. And notice the differentiation between Adam, here in verse 45, who became a living being, and Jesus, who is a life giving spirit. One Adam in the Garden of Eden had the ability to receive life. This last Adam that we know as Jesus had the ability to give life. The power to give life. In verse 46 it says, However, the spiritual is not first but the natural. And then afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. That's Adam. The second man, Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. Verse 48, And was, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Verse 49, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So as real as you are here today, in your physical body, bearing the image of the first man that was created, Adam. Because of your faith in Jesus, you will too bear the image of the heavenly man in a spiritual body that is incorruptible. This is a promise for you from God's word because of your faith in Jesus. So even as Adam gave us our physical bodies, and you might think, well, how in the world did Adam give me... a my physical body. You're a descendant. And that physical body was passed down to the children, which we all are. And we have physical bodies. So even as Adam gave us our physical bodies, Jesus gives us our spiritual bodies. In verse 50, he says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And this is why there's a need for the resurrection. Our earthly bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We can't get there like this. Corruption doesn't inherit incorruption, so I cannot in my corrupted state receive all that God has in store for me in heaven. I can't go there in my physical body. I can't get there in my own physical efforts, and I cannot even pass through those gates in the condition that I'm in. And as unpleasant of a thought dying is, it's really the beginning of life breaking forth for us for eternity. This life is short. Our life here on this earth, it doesn't last. But for the Christian, we have that hope. Though there's sorrow when we lose loved ones, there is sorrow. And we would be very inhuman if we did not experience that. Even the Bible says there's a time to weep. There's a time to rejoice and there's a time to weep. There is sorrow and grieving, a process that we will go through naturally, and that is okay. And God comforts us through those times. But for the Christian, we have the hope of eternity. Our family members that are suffering or in pain that are going to be with the Lord are no longer going to be suffering in that condition any longer because that corruption is going to put on incorruption. And they'll be fully praising the Lord in the presence of God Almighty for eternity. And that is nothing, what we go through here, is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in our lives forever. Forever. In verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. When he says here, we shall not all sleep, it's referring to death. We may not all die. and You might think, I thought you just said every person dies. Every person's time on this earth will end. What he's referring to here is the rapture of the church, that there will be people that are alive that will be caught up into the air with Jesus during his coming in the clouds. But look what it says here in verse 52, in a moment. In the Greek language, this is defined as the smallest fraction that cannot be divided any further. We're talking about almost like undetectable, an undetectable amount of time. Because some people say, you know, I'm going to party. I'm going to live my life after this world. And then I am going to, as soon as Jesus starts to come back, I am going to say, Lord, please forgive me. And then I'll be caught up into heaven. Listen, you are not going to have time. You're not going to be have time, have any time when, when you even see. We're talking emo, We're talking split, flash, faster than your eye uh, lid blinks. You know like We're talking. You cannot wait till then to get right with God. You cannot. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the twinkling, a beat. A human heart can beat up to five times in one second. Done. And you're like. Or whatever, you know, and it's like, sorry man, it's too late. The last trumpet, and we'll get to this when we get into the book of Thessalonians, but I'd like to read to you verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4 of Paul's first letter there. He says, but I do not want you, First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Listen to what he says. Verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what he's saying is that there will be people that will die before us, and there may be some of us who knows when the Lord's coming back. We need to be ready for that, we pray that He comes quickly. But there may be some of us that are alive when Jesus comes. And those that have died will be coming with Him. We'll be caught up in the air with them according to what the Bible tells us. And this is the day that we're praying will come quickly. I mean, you know, most people have memorized 2 Corinthians 5.8 that says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So... Some people wonder about in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 4 when I read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And some people wonder, and maybe you have this morning, how in the world are the dead in Christ raised first if the moment you die, you're with the Lord? Let me tell you. In First Thessalonians, it's speaking of a bodily resurrection. There's a bodily resurrection. This is what is referred to in First Thessalonians. So the moment you die, yes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your spirit will go immediately to be with the Lord, immediately. But your body is still here on the earth. Your body remains. Your physical body is left here on this earth. You might think, okay, that makes sense. I'm absent from the body. Yes, so that means I no longer am in the shell. I am now with the Lord, but my body is here. It's empty. I'm dead. There's no more life in that body. But when Jesus comes, the dead in Christ's bodies will be raised first. So there is a bodily resurrection that will take place. Now, some people have, and obviously this is personal preference, and I don't mean this to be uh, coming across as insensitive in regards to how you bury your loved ones. Uh, Some people for a long time have really had a problem with, you know, cremation. Or what if, you know, my great uncle was in the Navy in World War II and and he was lost at sea and his body was decomposed? Or, you know, what if it was swallowed by a whale? You know, you have no idea, like, what in the world could have happened to that body? You know, and so people would say, you know, they're lost or, you know, that's why you have to, you know, have open caskets and bury them with their whole body and all that, otherwise they won't have a bodily resurrection. Let me just put your minds to rest. The God who created the body from the dust of the earth is completely capable of making sure the dead in Christ's body, wherever it may be and how decomposed it may be or whatever it might be, is caught up and it's out of here. So the body is gone. So the dead in Christ's bodies will be raised first. So, continuing on, for this corruptible, verse 53 back in 1 Corinthians 15 For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. It's imperative that we change our bodily form in order to spend eternity in heaven. Our bodies could not last forever, and we know they were not meant to be, but rather they, they house our spirit while we're here on this earth. I mean, they couldn't last forever due to Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden where sin entered this world. But I'll tell you the gift from Jesus is a lot different than that gift from Adam, <laughs> so to speak. As it says, I like to share with you, if you like to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, this is a great parallel passage for what we're looking at this morning. Romans 5 verse 16 says, "And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one from one and offense resulted in condemnation but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification so judgment equals condemnation the gift of salvation equals justification many offenses were laid upon Jesus you remember it says for God laid on him the sins of us all our offenses our sins see when Adam sinned in the garden of Eden and sin entered this world I guess you could say all paid for one's mistake, all for one, all paid the price for one man's decision to lapse, to give in to sin, to disobey God, to deviate from the truth, all mankind paid for one man's sin, you know, every four years or so, we have the Olympics, I think that's correct, or maybe it's longer, um, uh, is it four, seven, I'm not sure, four, um, We have our best athletes that will be sent to compete. And see, each of those athletes, whichever country they're from, they're representing something more than themselves. They're representing the country that has sent them. And so when, say, Michael Phelps wins, all of the USA wins. When Michael Phelps loses, all of the USA loses. So Adam, just think of it as him, he represented team mankind. That when he sinned, all mankind lost. Sin entered the world. In Romans 5.17 it says, For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So death reigned through Adam. But much more than death. Life, life reigns through the one Jesus Christ. And if Christ is in me, as it says in Colossians 1.27, Christ is in you, you have the hope of glory. That's who lives inside you. In Romans 5.18, it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life it's important for us as we grow as a church and we're covering some pretty heavy things today and some of your minds might just be stretching a little bit and that's good And I hope that you are challenged. And I hope if you know this, that you're getting a nice refresher course today. It's important for us to understand that we are born condemned in sin. We are born in a sinful state, it's in our very nature. And the judgment of God is very clear on sin. And the only thing that will alter that course that we're on from the day that we're born that leads to destruction and remove the penalty of sin is faith in Jesus alone. Faith in Jesus alone. In Romans 5.19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. You understand that. Because Adam disobeyed, many fell into sin. The world was cast into sin. That's why we see the terrible things that happen in the world today. But he says, So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross, as it says in Philippians 2.8. Adam disobeyed God directly. That commandment. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so he did anyway. And the whole race of man fell into sin, became captive to sin and to Satan. The entire nature of man, mentally, morally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, affected by sin. In Romans 5, verses 20 and 21, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death Romans 5:21 even so grace might reign through the righteousness through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our lord once god gave man his law sin was exposed The fall of man abounded, it increased, it became abundant. So man was sinful by nature and we understand that now. And became increasingly guilty before God by their now awareness of breaking God's law. Because apart from God's law, I would say this is natural, this feels good, this is what everybody's doing, but now I've been exposed to what sin is and sin's effect on me and why I act certain ways and do certain things and desire th- desire to do certain things is because of the sinful nature that lives inside of me. But in our lives, where sin abounds, God's grace abounds beyond the measure of sin and overflows this is for us and because of this grace because of this god's grace reigns through the righteousness of jesus christ given to us our hope of glory eternal life through jesus christ our lord and so though all paid for one man's mistake we see the plan of god fulfilled we see the plan of god fulfilled in the one Jesus Christ, that second Adam, paying for all of mankind's sin. So though Adam lost and all team mankind lost, Jesus won. He won. Making it possible for mankind to beat death and to have victory over sin. This is the hope that we have. We have that hope. And so by Jesus' righteousness, which was given to you because of your faith in Him, the righteousness you now possess enables you to rule over death. And back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, it says, so when this corruptible body has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death. Where is your sting, O Hades? Where is your victory? That is fulfilled. When we die, we find that it's the beginning of our life and that seed that was planted in us, that life that was given to us will bring forth eternal life. And the sting of death, it says in verse 56, is sin and the strength of sin is the law. And so that we're all on the same page and understand what exactly is being said here sin brings forth death, and sin is exposed by God's laws. So, man stands, and this is according to verse 56 the strength of sin is the law. You might be wondering, how does that work? Man stands ever so guilty before God because of their sin, and their sin leads to death. And death is a result of disobedience to the Lord. And the strength of sin is the law means this. That the moment that sin was exposed for what it is, it showed what sin really was in the life of man and the power it had to consume and to destroy. So, this pointed out sin the law pointed out the power of sin. That you couldn't conquer it in your own strength. That you couldn't be a good enough person to get to heaven. The law showed you how far, it showed me how far we have fallen from the glory of God. So, the law pointed out sin, but more importantly, it pointed out our need for a Savior. And that's what the law does. It was meant to be a tutor, something to show us, hey, this is what sin is. Sin leads to death. Sin is what's consuming you. This is why you look like that and live like that and act like that and talk like that. That's what sin is. And if you continue down that path, you will be consumed and destroyed and spend eternity away from God. So, you need the Savior. And so because of what Jesus did on our lives... I think that's why paul says in verse 57 but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through jesus christ our lord and we can say amen to that thank you god so when you look at how just ominous death is and how problematic and and and, and how overwhelming sin is we say with paul thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it right there, right there. Do I fear death? No. Do I have a death wish? No. The life I live here, I want to live for the glory of God, and I want to live for, you know, my family, for my city, for my country, for my world to know more about Jesus. My life is short here. And I want to maximize it we've all been given certain talents we're stewarding the gifts that God has given us and if God's given me one I when my ticket when my tickets punched and I stand before the Lord I mean the Lord you gave me one here's two If he's given me five Lord here's ten well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord and as we close in verse 58 he says therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain because he's not in the grave. And he's not in the grave because he's risen. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's going to raise you. And your corruption will put on incorruption. Your mortality will put on immortality. And we say, thanks be to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this time where we can just come and study and be here with you and receive from you and be encouraged, Lord. Lord, we know that it's appointed for all of us to be born and to die and there will be a time where we all breathe our last breath. But we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the victory.